This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We are in chapter 5, the last chapter of 1 Peter. Uh, we've been going through 1 Peter for quite a while, haven't we? Um, and, uh, you know, I always start with kind of a review about, about where we've been. Um, just want to point this out. Uh, we live in a hostile world, right? We live in this time between the times, between when Jesus ascended into heaven and when he's coming back. And uh, the Bible someplace calls it uh, this present evil age. And uh, it's hard. And First Peter has been all about how we are to live as citizens of another kingdom here within this hostile world. Now, the text we're going to look at today is about being a pastor. Um, and uh, how does that fit with the, with the scope of the whole book? Well, I would say that uh, I think this is how Peter tells pastors how they are to pastor in a hostile world. Um, the rest of the book has been for all believers and sometimes dealing with different situations in life. Uh, he talked about everybody submitting to the government. He talked about um, servants submitting to their masters. He talked about um, uh, wives submitting to husbands and all these different stations of life. And here I think he talks about pastors, how they pastor in a hostile world. So let's look at our text, beginning in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a, the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word that you have spoken to us. Lord, we pray that as we open your word, as we examine this text, that you would feed us by it. Lord, that uh, you would care for us as a shepherd cares for his sheep. And Father, I pray that uh, you would open our eyes and our ears that we may hear your voice and see your glory. Lord, give me strength and grace as I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Peter begins here, so I exhort the elders among you. He's exhorting, he's encouraging, he's urging the elders among them. Now, I said this, this text is about pastors, and it uses this term here, elders. Um, when we come to this term, 
I guess maybe the first question that might come to us English readers is, well, it says elders. Jared, why do you say this is about pastors? Well, in the New Testament, there are basically three terms that we see that's used to talk about pastors. One is elder, one is overseer, and one, um, it's more along the pastoral type language here. Actually, the, the, the two words that are used most commonly are, uh, are elder and overseer, whereas the, the uh, pastor language actually comes from verb forms about what the elders are to do. Um, we see this language back in uh, Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. The, the Ephesian elders uh, would be the pastors there who um, uh, came out to meet Paul and, and he, he bid them farewell. And, uh, you know, he, he warned them that rabbit, uh, raging wolves were going to come and try to ravage the flock. And he told them to keep a watch over the flock of God at that time. And he's talking to pastors there. Uh, we see in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, um, Paul gives the qualifications for pastors, or actually the term that's used there is um, bishop in some translations or overseers. Um, and he uses the same qualifications in Titus when writing to Titus, and there he uses the term elder. So he uses these two terms uh, interchangeably. And then also in 1 Timothy in the last chapter, he says uh, a, an elder who rules well is worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching God's word. So again, we have this term elder that is uh, talking about pastors. So all that to say, just, you know, if there's any question, it says elder here. It's not just talking about the older men in the church. It's talking about the pastors. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now, Peter, he was an apostle. He walked with Jesus. You know, he, he, he was one of the 12 disciples. In fact, he was, he was the first one who, who confessed that Jesus was the Christ. But he doesn't here claim that as his authority when he's speaking to these pastors. Instead, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He's saying, I'm, I'm just like you. I'm a pastor among you, just like, just like you. And he says, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Uh, Peter was an eyewitness. Uh, now, we may, there are some who have looked at this text and said, well, Peter couldn't have written that because Peter, he ran, right? He, 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 whenever things got tough, um, he denied Jesus three times. But I think even within in the uh, in the gospel accounts, we see how how Peter was still there, kind of watching from the background and seeing um, what was going on with Jesus um, in the midst of that. G Peter was a witness; he was an eyewitness, and this is important because you know we live in an era where everybody, secular people, they're like, "How can we trust the Bible?" Now it's this ancient book, you know. Uh, well, how can we really trust that what this says is true? It's because what Peter says here, he was an eyewitness. He actually saw the sufferings of Christ and he saw the resurrected Jesus. So just kind of backing up here, he's talking to pastors 
And he identifies with the pastors and he he says, you can trust me because I was an eyewitness of what happened with Jesus, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. He, 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 you know, he'd already talked about in chapter one what we have looking forward to. God, we praise God because he's caused us to be born again. And we have a future hope that we're looking forward to one day. And God holds us in his hands. That middle one, that future hope, Peter here is saying, I'm a fellow partaker in that. That same thing that you have promised, I've got promised as well as what Peter was saying. Now we come to the command. He's exhorting the pastors to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Um, just like I had said before, the word for pastor, pastor, uh, that kind of terminology um, is really, it's usually used in the verbal form along with these other terms. And here we see an evidence of that. Uh, the word for pastoring is shepherd the flock of God that is among you. A pastor is to care for the flock of God. Um, and here he identifies the congregation, uh, the, the, the members of the church, the people who are believers as a flock of God. A couple of things here. One, it's God's flock. It doesn't belong to the pastor. Uh, the pastor is a, an under shepherd who has been put there to care for God's flock. Uh, it's God's flock. Now, some pastors may maybe just being careless or maybe out of their pride might say something like my church. <laughs> right. My, and, and honestly, we have to remember the church is not mine and it doesn't belong to anybody in particular. It's God's. Jesus bought us with his blood. He laid down his life for the church. He bought it. It's his. Shepherd the flock of God is what we've been commanded to do. Pastors have been commanded to do. That is among you. That is among you. Um, here, I think one of the things that's important is uh, the, the pastor needs to be close to his people. Uh, you know, uh, in the Middle Ages, there was a, um, there was a, um, a practice that came up among uh, the bishops, uh, I think, I think, can't remember what they called it, um, but uh, there was this practice where a, a pastor, well, not pastors, but like bishops and stuff in, within the Catholic Church, they would buy um, churches to be over. And they didn't live among any one of them. They would, they would get to be the pastor at this place or the bishop at this place and the bishop of that place. And they would basically, it was a financial thing. Um, they didn't live among those people and they didn't care about those people. It was all about power and position. Well, here Peter says that in a hostile world, pastors are to live among their people. They're to know their people. They're to, to care for their people. Um, Johnny Hunt, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Johnny Hunt. He's a Southern Baptist pastor. He's been, uh, he has been the president of the convention before. And uh, he said, 
uh, shepherds smell like sheep. Right? And if you want to be a good pastor, spend enough time with your people that if they were sheep, you'd smell like it. <laughs> right? Pastors or shepherds smell like sheep. And if you want to be a good pastor, spend time with your people. Um, I'm going to back up just a minute here. This text is about pastors. It's what pastors are supposed to do. So why is this relevant to all of you? Right? I'm a pastor. I'm a guest preacher here. Very regular guest preacher. Uh, but I am a pastor of a church up in Panama. And uh, why is this relevant to all of you? Well, as a congregation, you have to know what to look for in a pastor. Uh, you have to know what to look for to know the kind of person you want to stand behind this pulpit. Uh, so you need to know these things, too. It's not just command so that the preacher knows what he needs to be, but it's also the command so that the congregation knows what to look for. So um, here, Peter had said, uh, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The next thing he says is exercising oversight. It's another term that we see in other places that that. Uh, the term in um, the qualifications for pastors in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is uh, overseers, bishops. The Greek term is episkopos. Or we, get, we get the term episcopal from that. And um, that's the, this here is the verbal form of that. Exercising oversight. One thing that I think is really unique about this text is it shows us those three terms are all interchangeable. Elder, overseer, and pastor are all, in the New Testament, interchangeable. And what uh, we see in the development of the church is oftentimes, uh, particularly I'm going to talk about the Roman Catholic Church, you end up having bishops being uh, a level up above all the other church ministers, and, and you have this hierarchy developing. But in the New Testament, what you have is Pastor, elder, and overseer were all three that's talking about the same office. They're talking about the same uh, thing. Is that the way it is in um, brethren circles too? Okay, we're on the same page here. <laughs> Congregational um, government as far as uh, uh, the pastor, elder, and overseer is all the same office. He says, exercising oversight not under compulsion. Pastors don't need to get up and say, oh, I've got to go to the church again. Oh, man, uh, just got a call from this person. Oh, she's, she's in trouble again. Need to go bail her out. You know, not from jail, but. <laughs> no, the pastor needs not to pastor under compulsion, feeling like he has to. If ever a pastor gets into the position where he feels like he has to, he needs to repent of that or get out of the business. He needs to instead do it willingly. God wants a pastor to do so willingly for the joy of it. Um, in a hostile world where the world is against us, where there's so much pressure 
from the world, a pastor who does so under compulsion will not survive the ministry. Instead, we need to do so as a joy. As a, as a joy. Willingly as God would have us. Then he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain. Now, the, the first thing that probably comes to our mind is to think of all those TV preachers, right? All those TV preachers, like, send me money because, uh, you know, God wants me to have a $2 million airplane, right? That's, that's, that's what we think of when we think of not for shameful gain. And we can point at that and say, yeah, we, look, look at how that's so bad. Now, that is, I think, an example of serving for shameful gain. But I don't want to point the finger elsewhere and think that the little guy can't be guilty too. Um, because, honestly, we live in this hostile world. And, and, and just I'm going to bare my own soul here a little bit. Um, I think all of us have mixed motives all the time. We have the right motives, and then we have a mixture, because we, we're still sinners. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, when I, when I consider my calling and what I'm supposed to be doing, um, I, 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 I can't escape the thought sometimes coming to mind. If I didn't do this, how would I make ends meet? Let that never be what keeps me in the pulpit. I, I want to serve in such a way that I would do it if I wasn't paid anything. I'm glad it's not the case. <laughs> but I, I want to be the kind of pastor who would still do it even if I didn't get any income from it. Um, not for shameful game, but, but for eagerly. And I think any pastor that struggles with that, and I think from time to time, especially those of us who are living below the poverty line... <laughs> Might, might struggle with that. I think the proper thing to do is confess that to God and say, my motives are not pure here. Uh, I have mixed motives. And God, I pray that you would, you would uh, purify me from all um, bad motives so that I can serve in the joy and eagerness that you want me to. He says, not domineering those in your charge. The pastor is not to be someone who is abusively using their position to get people to do what they want to, them to do. The pastor is not building up his own little mini kingdom for his own glory. No, the pastor, remember, is, ser is serving God's flock. And, and, and uh, he's not to be the one who calls every single shot. Um, as I mentioned, I think we have this in common. Congregational church government. The church decides ultimately uh, what the direction of the church will be. Now the pastor can cast a vision before his people of this is what I think God wants us to do. But ultimately, the church is the one that is the final authority in those matters. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
The pastor is to be an example. And the way that a pastor is an example is by following the example of Jesus. We've seen this word example before. Peter had told us in the midst of suffering, we're to follow after Jesus' steps. He was suffering. And when he suffered, he didn't, uh, he didn't revile. You know, he didn't revile against those who reviled him. He didn't, uh, you know, he was like a, a lamb that was silent before his shears. And, and in the midst of suffering, we're supposed to follow Jesus' example. We're supposed to, to have a, a, a joy in the midst of suffering just like Jesus did. And in the same way, a pastor should be trying in the, the best that he can to follow after Jesus' example so that the congregation then sees the pastor living out a life of following Jesus' example and follows that same example. Um, and in this, I think... We're all in this together. Each one of us is trying to follow Jesus' example, but we can all learn from one another as well. <clears throat> then, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Whew. We've got a reward coming. We've got a reward coming. Peter had told us in chapter 1, we have a living hope that will never fade away. It, will, it, will, uh, uh, it, it, is, it is reserved in heaven for us. It is, it is not perishable. It is uh, undefiled. And for pastors, we are motivated by the crown. We're not to be motivated by money. We're not to be motivated by by a compulsion where we're to be motivated by the reward that we will receive one day. Um, some might get the idea just to be real spiritual. Well, I just do this out of the goodness of my heart. I'm not expecting any reward. Peter motivates us by a reward. You're going to receive a crown one day if you serve faithfully as a pastor. Um, you know, we, we do these things for the reward. We want to, to receive the crown. And the chief shepherd, that's, he's the chief shepherd. We're just little under-shepherds. Pastors are little under-shepherds taking care of God's flock. But the chief shepherd, the one who laid down his life for the sheep, the one who bought his sheep for himself, he's coming one day. Amen? He's coming one day. He, he ascended into heaven after his, his uh, resurrection and he promised he's coming again one day. And when he comes, we want to be found faithful so that whenever he comes, we will receive the crown of glory. An unfading crown of glory. Now, Peter changes gears here. In the next verse, he says, likewise, you who are younger and uh, I got to say, uh oh, here I've been arguing here that this elder term is mean means um, pastors. But here, uh, this maybe throws a wrench into that a little bit. What's he talking about here? He, you who are younger, there's no uh, office of the, you know, 
the office of elders and the office of youngers. <laughs> you know, there's, there's nothing like that. So uh, what, what's going on here? I think there's a couple of possibilities. Paul could be talking to new, or not Paul, Peter could be talking to new believers. He could be talking uh, to um, younger people within the congregation. Or he could be talking about um, everybody in the congregation as opposed to the office of elder. I, I'm not sure really which one of those that it would be. I, would, I think I would uh, probably lean towards it being younger people within the congregation. And I think probably just, uh, just a matter for reasoning here. Um, I think that younger people are often tempted to try to be more innovative and to try doing new things that uh, may lead us into um, wrong paths. And here I think Peter is warning younger people who, who uh, may get a little uh, unsettled or uh, impatient with the way you know, they, they want to see change happening and things like that. Um, I think Peter is warning them they need to listen to the elders. Listen to the, uh, not, not to, not to um, uh, think they know better than them, right? Uh, but submit to the elders, be subject to the elders, and then Peter here talks about humility. Clothe yourselves, all of you. All of you. Now he's not just talking about younger people. He's talking to all believers, the whole congregation, all of you. He talked to pastors. He talked to younger people within the congregation. He talks to all of us. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Whether that's the pastor or any one of us, what's supposed to characterize us is humility. Not, and I think the reason why we are to be humble, there's a couple of reasons. One, Peter here says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's a reason. Because the humble, that's who God gives grace to. And we want to be those people. But also, um, if we're not being humble, we're tempted to think, well, I'm better than other people. And that's a sinful human tendency. Peter here does not want us to be thinking of ourselves better as one, uh, of, than one another, but we need to think of ourselves lowly. Um, and that's really, I think, what the gospel all comes down to. We have to humble ourselves. In order to be saved, Jesus says, we've got to become like little children. That's humbling. We do, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, I think is a picture of the gospel. We don't come to God and say, look at what I've done. I'm such a great person, accept me. It's not... How we come to God. Instead, we approach God and say, I don't have anything. I've got empty hands. I don't have anything to offer. We come to Him humbly and we say, Count Jesus' righteousness to me because I don't have any of my own. 
That's, that's a picture of the gospel. Clothe yourselves in humility with, uh, um, toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it also shows us a picture of what God has done. What did He do? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was with God from all eternity. Perfect harmony in heaven between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God humbled Himself. The second person of the Trinity became flesh. Humbled Himself. Lived among sinful human beings. And went to a cross being beaten and mocked and put to death for our sake. That's another way we are imitating Jesus. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. And we are to humble ourselves in the sight of God, and he will lift us up.